What happened in Boulder? We'll talk about it coming up right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bear Insider, Ultimate Insider Podcast. I am Mike Pulaski. And today, we are talking about that Colorado game. And boy, what a rough outing for the Bears. I have uh, almost never been that frustrated uh, calling a game as a radio analyst. You tend to kind of separate yourself from the game a little bit. But obviously, knowing the coaches, knowing the players, being around at my program, uh, that was a frustrating, frustrating game. And I find that when offense tends to struggle is when I have the hardest time with it. In this game, boy, offense did it struggle hard. Later on in the podcast, we will talk to Coach Wilcox about what happened. We will also talk to Daniel Scott um, and get some insights from a senior safety, fantastic football player, one of my favorites right now for the Bears. So uh, we'll get those coming up. But let's talk about that Colorado game first. We, Whenever we talk to Coach Wilcox, and you'll hear it kind of a repetitive theme over and over and over, is that you need to win the one-on-one matchups when you find them. And so that's a huge part of any game of football. And what you're trying to do as a coach is figure out where those one-on-one matchups are, and then your guys need to go out and perform and win them. Well, in this game, Colorado was winning those one-on-one matchups, be it at the line of scrimmage with the big boys, be it in the secondary with corners against receivers trying to block them or receivers trying to run routes. Uh, Colorado was winning those one-on-one matchups, linebacker safeties coming through on pass pressure. Um, Those guys were winning. And that's, I mean, there's no easy way to sugarcoat that. That's what was going on. On top of that, Coach Wilcox told us at halftime that a huge piece of, or not just a huge piece, but the team needed to block better or excuse me, the team needed to block better, catch better, run the ball better, uh, and protect better. And and they they weren't doing it. They just weren't doing it in this game. And I went back through and I looked at film. If it's one thing where you can say, oh, our guy is not focusing on the ball, or our guy is you know got his hands in the wrong position as an offensive lineman, if his technique is bad, if it's a scheme issue where this scheme doesn't work out as well as it does on the whiteboard, then you correct that, you move on, you get better and and you get it solved. But it was across the board in this game. And it was, it's so rare to see a team kind of misfire on so many levels uh, in a single game. And it, you know, obviously it doesn't do me any good to talk about it uh, in this manner other than the fact that that's exactly what happened. And so we'll start, um, kind of working my way backwards, I thought the group that just stood out the most uh, that had a rough, rough day were the tight ends. I thought there was some assignment stuff or communication stuff potentially in there where they were asked to block, you know, down to the B gap. So if you look at football and you count it out, where the center is between the guard or the center and the guard is the A gap. Between the guard and the tackle is the B gap. Between the tackle and the tight end is the C gap. And so outside of the tight end is a D gap. But if, you, if you're asking a tight end on the outside to block down two gaps, so not block his gap, which is the C gap, but block down to the B gap, that is a long and it's a tough block. And so uh, there were a couple of occasions where the tight end was asked to make a block that either asked to or they didn't communicate it. They didn't figure it out and get it communicated. 
so it's one of the other things. Oftentimes, what coaches will do is they'll give you a line call. So you can go out there and call a sift or a fold call or whatever call you use, which would bring the, gut, the tackle now down to make that down block, and you'd pull a couple other guys. It was on what's called a pin and pull. And so tight end went down, guard and tackle pulled around. But because the tight end had to come back, that defensive line was already upfield, and he blew up the first puller, which then bounced that back into Jaden Knott's lap and, and essentially blew up the play. The play couldn't get started. And so either they didn't communicate well, they didn't get that across, so they didn't understand it, or there was no communication for it. They were going to try this block because it looked good on the whiteboard. Either way, did not get it done. Um, and so communication on that play, and the tight ends in particular, did not look very good. Add that to the fact that there were several blocks on uh, screens or on runs downfield that they missed as well. Uh, and it was a rough outing for that tight end group uh, in this game up in Colorado and, and some drop passes. So um, huge one, including a big drop pass at the end. Tight end group had a rough day. Offensive line group, we've talked about the offensive line all year long. And they were, I think, maybe better, a little bit better in pass protection, but run blocking in part to, due to the communication and the work with the tight ends, uh, but in part just the fact that they were getting beat in one-on-one matchups uh, was not great. And so when, you're, when you can't get the ball started, when you can't get the play started up front with the offensive line, then it really puts you in a hole right away. And so offensive line, I say they protected a little bit better than some games, but they, they still didn't protect great up front. And so there was pressure back on Jack Plummer. The run game wasn't getting out of the blocks. Uh, there were a couple nice runs, but other than that, a lot of penetration into the secondary. There seemed to be a black shirt back there on almost every run play. And so incredibly difficult for no matter who the back is, Jaden Ott or anybody else, to run. That was difficult for them back there. And so, obviously, another thing that they need to shore up, that offensive line, especially the interior of that offensive line uh, in the running game, guards and center have to get you going in that run game. And so that was not a uh, superb outing for them. The tackles, although Colorado did not have a huge speed guy off the edge, they did get rushed off the edge a little bit. They could still be more solid holding down the edge uh, in that. And then um, – receivers this this one was big for me this one as a former quarterback but as a team you know as a player this one irks me because receivers were not blocking for each other like they should be Cal tried to get the ball to the outside if you're having problems protecting the interior protecting your quarterback then you're going to try to spread the field laterally horizontally and get the ball outside and when they roll up and play Cover two on cover two with a roll up corner on the outside receiver, and the next nearest defender is a high safety who's nine or ten yards back. Then, if you throw that now screen or smoke screen, whatever teams call it, the quick bubble, and you get that block on that initial corner, then you get seven, eight, ten yards out of that and potential for breaking one. And so, on the outside, the receiver blocking the DB is all about want to. There's some technique to it, but really it's about want to. I want it more than the other guy, and I'm going to get this block. And just you only have to give your teammate a simple edge, just one edge, and he's out the gate. And watching it time after time, trying to throw that pass, 
Cal's receivers lost that battle. And so they lost the want to battle. And to me, that was the most frustrating piece of the entire day because I, I know what it takes to make that block. I, I, you know, theoretically, I haven't been a receiver out there blocking, but I know that it, it's about wanting to win that one. And the Bears needed to win that block, and it would have opened up a lot of the offense had they done it. And they just were not getting it done. And then you pair that with some drop balls, especially the drop balls late in the game when there was a little bit of nonchalance there in the end zone. Uh, Mason Starling catching that ball, and it looked like he was going to hold it there and pose with it. Uh, and a DB just comes and knocks it out of his hand. By the way, he had possessed it longer than the Colorado receiver had at that point, but that's an entirely different story. Uh, Cal, had, Cal was in control of their own destiny. That's... You know, you don't have to end up in a an overtime game at 13 points. If a college football team holds another team to 13 points on the day, they should win that game. And Cal's offense uh, just did not put it together in this game, boy, and it was frustrating. Jack Plummer was off without a doubt. He was missing passes that I think he normally hits. In part, I believe it was due to the knee. Uh, injured at Washington State. But then in part, it was due to the fact that he was creating his own pressure, creating his own ghosts, because he has not had a really clean pocket yet as a quarterback at Cal. And so I think uh, it's a combination of those two things, neither of which really helps for him. And he needs to get better at that position. I think he would, Jack would probably tell you that he needs to get better at that position as well. And then running backs, not a lot they could do. They, they hit the hole when the hole was there and it looked good. And they didn't hit the hole when there was black shirts in their lap when they were getting the ball. And that's kind of the nature of the beast of that position. If, if the blocking is good, you can be great. If the blocking is bad, it's almost impossible to, to be great. And Jay Knott uh, has created some blocking for himself this year. But you can't do that down in and down out and expect to be successful. And so overall, a rough one offensively for you. And you may have noticed that I didn't talk about the defense here uh, very much because defense did their job. They held Colorado to 13 points. And now, yeah, coaches will tell you there's a couple big you know, passes there where you're there for contested catches and you knock that ball down. But their guys get scholarship checks too. And so, yeah, could you make the play? potentially Lumaja Hearns was there for one when he got injured um, on, a, on a jump ball and you know could have made the play there. There was another one down the field that could have made a play. And so there was an opportunity to make a couple plays in the pass game. And I'm sure there's other things that coaches cleaned up. But again, I go back to the fact that if you hold a team to 13 points, you should win that football game. And Cal, by all rights, if they could have put together any offense whatsoever, they should have won that football game. And they just didn't get it done. And so – that's my take on the game. Um, I'm, I'm still not down. I'm not negative. Uh, it is a frustrating game to watch as a former quarterback. I did not enjoy watching that film. Uh, it was yuck. So take that for what it is. But uh, right now, I'm going to talk to Coach Wilcox. I uh, have a pretty frank discussion with him about what happened. I know that after the game, Coach was pissed, and it showed up in his postgame interview, as he should be, as all these players should be. I loved, I really loved his main line is you've got to eat it, live with it, and it's got to suck. You've got to really hate what just happened. And I think that's exactly right. If you're a competitor, if you're a competitor, if you're 
accountable to your team, then that is exactly right. You need to do that. And so, anyway, right now, let's talk to Coach Wilcox. We'll get his take on the Colorado game uh, and see what he learned from watching film. Well, joining me now, head coach Justin Wilcox. And, Coach, after a game like that, it's always tough, right? Emotionally, immediately, the response is kind of anger, frustration, all of that. And then you watch the film. I always say it's never as good as it feels or as bad as it feels. That one felt pretty bad afterwards. So talk to me about now that you've seen I think the reaction after the game was appropriate. I mean, there's no excuse for a performance like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was appropriate. Felt the same the next day and even still today, to be honest with you, if I'm being transparent, I mean, we are – practicing and we're working and but it's I can't say that it feels a lot different today than it did then and it was appropriate it is appropriate as I watch the film and I go through the offensive side of the ball I think to me I I limit I personally eliminate defense I know that there's mistakes and stuff to clean up but if you hold an opponent to 13 points in regulation you should win a football game to me in college football I watch the offensive side of the ball and as you pointed out, if there's one thing where you could say, oh, it's, you know, we're getting beat on the outside rush or, oh, we're not strong enough inside. We're not catching ball, whatever it is, but it's across the board. I mean, it's receivers not blocking well enough on bubble screens on the outside. It's tight ends missing blocks. I thought the tight ends in particular had an atrocious visit to Colorado. Uh, not tough inside, not getting the edge. I mean, like it's a little bit of everything. How do you go about treating that? The coaches, we as coaches, myself and the offensive coaches need to provide better answers for the players. And then when the players have the opportunity to make the play, they're responsible. Okay, so it's shared, um, but we have to do a better job giving those guys better answers, whether that's simplifying, um, whether that's identification issues, whether it's technique. But the coach's role is to help the players play to their potential. We have to do better there. I mean, it's just there's uh, couldn't be more clear. And then the players, when they have the opportunity to execute that given technique or that given play, they have responsibility as well. So uh, that's as simple as I can put it. Yeah, I mean, simple sounding, right? But simple, simple sounding is not always simple to execute. It's not always simple to get in if it's more than one thing. How do you, I guess each position group has to go about it and change yeah. it, right? I know as a coach myself, right, you, you always try to find it. And I, I yell at our kids all the time about using the technique that they're given. But there's some scheme stuff too. We're trying to block a gap and a half across. There, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on there. How how do you bring that down to a coachable moment for each one of those kids so that they get the message? Well, it's being specific. And it's us as coaches being specific in what we're trying to ask them to do and whether that means we have to take some off their plate in order for them to focus on a few things to do those things better so the play result becomes about the physical matchup not whether or not we're blocking the right person or have a chance to do it right or you know like it needs to become about the physical matchup and can our player make the play against their player and at that point if our players know what to do and have the techniques in their toolbox to do it, it's on them to go out and get it done. But we have to get them to that point, and then they share that responsibility once it becomes live and it's, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon. I mean, that's that's their time. But uh, I don't – again, it's, it's not 
one thing. It's not the tight end's footwork. It's not the just the tight end's footwork. It's not just the receivers and the you know ball security or catching the ball. It's not Jack on a specific thing. It's everything. And when you're playing like this, like it's not going to be one thing. But it's our job to fix it, and it has to improve. It just absolutely has to. There's no other way about it, and uh, that's that's on me. I, I'm responsible for the performance of the team. The coaches are responsible for their positions and their units, and then the players are responsible for their individual play. That's how it works. Yeah, and let's so, so let's break it down just a little bit. We talked about we've talked about it every week. Game starts and ends up front. Period. The pit is where you win and lose football games. And so offensively on the offensive line, uh, soft inside, soft in the middle, quite honestly. Uh, and there were penetration on every run play or a lot of run plays, not every, but a lot of run plays. Um, talk to me about the offensive line in particular, and then we'll talk about Jack next. Well, I mean, yeah, it wasn't good enough. I mean, just wasn't good enough in any measure, you know, and I understand, you know, okay, there's a young guy here. People play with young guys. Like that's college football. We're not the only team playing with a young guy. Uh, you know, guys get dinged up, whatever. I mean, that that happens. Like, the players are capable of playing better. Why are they not playing better? That's the question. And so that's the time. That's what we spend our time on. And, I mean, we can kind of go through the, you know, the uh, footwork or the uh, eye control or maybe the, the calls we made versus a, a three technique versus a four eye. I mean, it kind of goes on and on, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's what I talked about. Like we have to, the coaches have to take responsibility and give them better answers. We do. And then the players, when they have the answer, need to go execute it on Saturdays. And uh, that's why it's a shared responsibility, but we have to do a better job of giving them better answers. Yeah. So putting them in a position to win and then they have to go out and win period. Yep. Yeah. Talk to me about Jack. He looked like, and potentially the knee was an issue, you know, potentially that was part of it. Um, but he was just a little bit off. He's, he hit this whole year. He's overthrown the corner just a little bit. Guys have been reaching it, you know, catching it at the full extent. He missed a sale, which became an interception. Uh, he missed that early seam route and he threw it high. Uh, whether it was, he couldn't drive off that back leg, a little bit of energy or, has he gotten to the point now where he hasn't really had a clean pocket and he's starting to feel that and create ghosts for himself? You know, Mike, I think it's probably a combination of all those things. You know, I, re I really do. Uh, I think Jack has arm talent. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's competitive. Uh, he can play better. And it's our job to get that out of him. Yeah, I think I think this game, as a quarterback, right, speaking of the quarterback, former Cal quarterback, you could see it in his game in that having not having a clean pocket for a while has kind of affected him at this point. He created some of his own pressures, created some of his issues with not being on balance. Um, and so, yeah, to be able to protect him or have him feel protected at least uh, would make a huge difference in his game. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, for any quarterback. Yep. Yeah. And then there's the, the ability to protect him and then the responsibility of getting the ball to the right person at the right time. Yeah. which is playing quarterback. And there are broken plays that happen in a game, but giving him uh, an appropriate amount of time with our protections and him getting the ball to the right person at the right time. That's quarterback. Yeah. Play. yeah. Yeah. And there were, and there were some opportunities in this game, obviously where we had some people down the field that 
he just didn't find because I think he was hurrying. The game was faster in his head than it was on the grass. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah. Talk to me about the receiver group because there's a group that's physically talented, gifted guys, and they go out and they have dropped passes, right? Some of that is nonchalance. Some of that is trying to do something before you get the ball in your hands. But the biggest part to me, the part that really bugs me watching that as a quarterback coach, you know, play all that, not blocking for each other, not getting their blocks on the perimeter when you're throwing bubble screens. Like that, that's an unacceptable thing. You should be fighting, you know, until your pads come off when you're out there fighting for your brother. And some of that to me seemed like they weren't, they didn't have the effort there. I agree with you. I mean, I watched it live and then I watched it the next day. And I mean, my blood's still boiling watching our guys get blown up on the perimeter. Yeah. Man, there's, there is no excuse for that. And we have talented guys who I, I think they care about each other. So it's either the technique is poor, the concentration or the concentration is poor, but somewhere there's a disconnect. And when you throw a bubble or a smoke screen, when there's the high safety and then the corner, if you just get in the guy's way and get your hands on him, we got a chance to make a minimum 10 yard play and maybe more, but the play never got going because we didn't touch the guy. It's just totally inexcusable. It's bad football. It's terrible. And, you know, we got to catch the ball when we have a chance to catch it. hundred percent. Our drops going to happen from time to time. Maybe so, but blocking is something that's a, it's simple technique and it takes a hell of a lot of effort and want to, and maybe the technique is off. Maybe our eyes are off. Okay. Those are the things that have to be addressed, but getting your buddy blown up in the backfield is unacceptable. So my, I mean, my, my blood's still boiling from it. Yeah. I I'm with you. You know, as a, like I said, as a coach myself, that, that one's about want to period. You want to go out and block that guy. You get him blocked and get just, and you only have to give your guy an edge for a second, just enough to get past him. So that one drives me nuts. Okay. So all this happens, Steve Greatwood coming in as an analyst for you. You bring him in. Here's a guy who obviously is history. Cal fans know him, former O-line coach here, history of working with offensive linemen. Is Obviously, you bring him in to help kind of right the ship up front to kind of get that at least another set of eyeballs on what's going on up there. Talk about what he brings. Talk about how he improves his team, how he fits into this to the scheme as it is right now. Well, uh, we were able to get him in on Sunday in an analyst role. Um, he doesn't have the direct, he can't coach the players on the field, uh, but he's here to help our program. And he's here to provide his expertise and support. And he's well-respected really universally in our profession. And uh, I'm appreciative that he's come down and anything that we do, uh, any decision that's made in terms of personnel, it's all in the best interest of the team. And I think Steve is willing to help us and certainly able, and we will, we will uh, use his expertise as much as we possibly can. And we appreciate him being here. And how do you think that fits in as a coach? Like for me, I'm just, just curious. You come into kind of middle of the season in a system that you haven't been in as part of it. Obviously he's been in a, in a ton of different systems. So technique is technique, you know, inside zone is inside zone and, you know, half man, half slide is that pass protection. 
but how does he fit in with the verbiage, everything else? How does he work his way into that? Is it just in coaches meetings? Is it kind of yeah. talking he's involved to you in or all, talking to Bill? Yeah, he's involved in all uh, staff and coaches, coaches meetings. Um, and he's, a, he's, as you mentioned, he's been a part of a number of different systems and there's, you know, just a certain language uh, transition, but he's a accomplished guy and uh, it won't happen overnight, but he, as you can hear, Coach has still got a little bit of that red ass. He's a little bit pissed uh, about that game and totally understandable. I, I get that. He's a competitor. He's fiery. Uh, when it comes to that, when, you, when it comes to his commitment to professionalism, to, to executing your assignment, uh, Coach is unflinching. And so he's pissed about that, as he should be, as the team should be pissed about that performance they let one slip and those you know that's a game that counts that would have counted towards a bowl and so that's a huge one to let slip but the bears did and so now they need to get better let's pick this thing up a notch right now i'm going to talk to one of my favorite cal football players today of this day and age of this team uh in daniel scott he is a fantastic senior safety six-year guy been around the program has gotten better, has learned, has grown, is a really, really, really good football player. We are fortunate to have him back there. He's a leader on the field. He's a guy who, when I watch him play, you can see the film study in his game. And I love that part about him because he is super smart. He thinks strategically, but he is prepared for every single rep, for every single snap. And that helps him more than anything in his game. He has the physical tools to play the position, obviously, but the mental tools is what sets him apart. And so that's why he's a, a big you know, piece, a big favorite of mine because that mental game takes discipline and he's got the discipline to make it happen. So right now, Daniel Scott talking about his career at Cal and then we'll look forward at Washington. Well, joining me now, one of my favorite Cal players of this era, of right now, this team. Uh, and he's one of my favorites because he is a leader. He's a guy who takes accountability for his team. He plays football, man. He plays hard. Uh, and he is in the right spot most of the time, which is all you can ask for from a player. Daniel Scott, hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to have you on. Hi, nice to see you. And uh, thank you for having me, Mike. Absolutely. Tell me what it's like for you as a senior. I remember my last year coming in there, kind of what it was like to me as it built up for me. I have a tattoo of the block C on my arm, right? I've got the bear paw on my arm. What's it like for you as a Cal guy who's been here for a long time, kind of taking ownership of this program? Right, right. Um, I mean, it's a little bittersweet sometimes, you know, coming in for going in my sixth year, seeing everyone uh, year over year, some guys, old guys just leaving. But um, um but yeah, I mean, I'm excited, you know, to see not only my personal um, path and how I've grown as a human and as a football player, but seeing how the team and uh, my position group, everyone has just grown um, and continued to grow and uh, people around me. I think it's been really cool for me to see. So, um, you know, I've been in a lot of locker rooms, been in with a lot of old guys, a lot of young guys. So, you know, seeing 10 years of, of college athletes, I think has been a unique thing for me to, uh, you know, cherish forever. Oh, without a doubt about it. You, you meet some of the most unique guys in the world coming through that Cal locker room. Super smart and all kinds of different personalities. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So I, I, so I went on to play 11 years pro and I, I kind of, I always harken back to the Cal locker room. If you're looking for a locker room with dudes that, you know, got your back, 
guys who are smart, great football players, a Cal locker room is it. And when I came in as a freshman, just a puppy, I had no idea what that was all about. But as a senior, I was the guy who was supposed to lead that locker room. You're in that position now. Talk about being a leader on this team with your experience, how you approach that. Right, right. I mean, I was very similar to you, Mike. Uh, it kind of took me a little bit to utilize the locker room and to utilize those networks and connections that I made, you know, from freshman year all the way until now. Um, you know, I definitely started as just letting my work and letting my progress and my, um, you know, work ethic do all the talking for me. But, you know, as you saw this year with a lot of fifth years leaving last year and six years leaving last year, you know, I kind of had to step up vocally, um, you know, and I started becoming less of a leader and more of like a manager, um, as I would call it. So just helping guys wherever I could, um, you know, as same as what guys did for me when my freshman and sophomore year. So whether that's in the position group, um, you know, helping them with film, breaking down the defensive scheme, understanding, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it, or just helping out a freshman, you know, where's class, what time do I have to do the class? You know, we got the Berkeley time, um, you know, even guys want some food. I'm a foodie myself. So if guys want to figure out some food that are out of town, I'm always there. So just continuing to be a, uh, you know, helping hand to anyone on the team that I can, because um, I knew that I took for granted, you know, some of the things that I was given freshman, sophomore year. Yeah. And we're going to look at film in just a second. A huge piece of that is right. The film study, understanding right. how to study film. I came in out of a wing T offense as a quarterback. <laughs> I, I was all state as a safety. I was all County as a quarterback. So I knew nothing yeah. about the position. I was still backpedal dropping. Like I knew nothing about playing quarterback. Troy Taylor was a quarterback ahead of me, head coach at Sac State now. And he really taught me by trying to emulate him how mm -hmm. to study film, how to study defenses, how to go about my business. How much of your game helping these younger kids is just setting the example through what you do? Right, right. I mean, I think a lot of it is setting the example. If, if, if you teach guys and you verbally tell people uh, things, you know, that may go a certain way, but seeing you in action, doing those things, doing those processes um, only helps them paint the picture in their head a little bit better. So for me, you know, the film room is, you know, what I try to say sets me apart from some other, you know, positions or safeties around the country. Um, so I utilize that as much as I can. You know, a lot of our coaches this year have been saying, you know, when you go out on the game, it's really how, how well you studied, you know, before the open book test, you know, you have all the film, you have all the cutups, you have all what you need before the game to study. So when you come here on game day, it should be second nature to you. So I pride myself a lot on that. And I think cow guys in general pride themselves on that. And we're going to continue to do that. I always felt as a quarterback that game day was actually easier than practice because I had to go up against my guys all the time who knew what we were doing, who knew our strengths and weaknesses, who weren't scared to gamble in practice, right? right. They weren't scared to take a shot or, or cheat or do whatever in practice. But once the game got there and butts got a little bit tight, right? And guys kind of anxietyed up. Now the game got way easier. Is it the same on the defensive side of the ball for you? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We try to preset, you know, whether that's the leaders or the coaches trying to make practice, especially Tuesday practices as hard as we could. So again, come game day, it's just second nature to us. You know, we're not overthinking. We're not second guessing our, you know, some of our reads, some of our thoughts, we're just flying around running fast and uh, making tackles. So I a hundred percent agree with you. One of the things about being an offensive player or a defensive player is being able to put yourself in your opponent's shoes, right? So you're studying film, you're watching, and you understand that for every route, they're trying to create leverage point, right? There's a stretch somewhere on one guy. As a defensive player, are you able to do that? And how do you use that in your game? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to understand, you know, why and, and what ways the offense is trying to attack you. Um, that starts, you know, during game plan, during the game week. So 
you know, for this week, looking at Washington specific things that they do, why they're doing it this way, um, you know, knowing because we do something a certain way, how they may attack that, um, I think is really important for us. But it, the same goes, uh, you know, the same goes for us. You know, we know what routes they may run. We know what leverage uh, we need to get to, but we may not show that right away. So um, it's it's a game within a game. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a chess match. It's not just uh, us DBs playing a game against the quarterbacks and receivers. It's also the eyes in the skies, the offensive coordinator, you know, especially early on in games, you know, they're going to set something up for us to, you know, try for them to try to, uh, you know, abuse later on in the game. So just knowing that there's always a chess match, um, you know, even though the ball may not be thrown to you on a certain route or a certain concept, knowing what they just ran, knowing what they could set up after that, um, I think goes a long way. That is, that's absolutely huge. Like as an offensive guy, hearing you say that, understanding where they're trying to set you up, that is smart. And that's the thing that I think sets your game apart, kind of the way you play football. I, when I'm announcing on the radio all the time, I'm like, that's him watching film. There's no other way you get to where you're going to be without watching film and anticipating. And so I appreciate that in your game, just to let you know, you know, old guy here appreciates what you're doing on that front. Um, I talk it. about, talk about how you got that mindset. Is it this coaching staff? Do they do the job of kind of giving you that imparting that wisdom to you? Is it experience playing in the game? What is it? Um, I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, I think, um, having my dad who kind of played quarterback in high school and lower, lower tiers in college, um, you know, helped me just hearing his, you know, just like you, you know, hearing an offensive mindset and having that translate into, you know, myself as a safety, um, I think went a long way. Um, you know, not only I had smart coaches in high school, I have even smarter coaches here in college. Um, you know, I've had three, three sets of position coaches now. So just trying to be a sponge and learn from as many people as I can, as oftenly as I can. Um, has been really important to me and and then realizing you know that is what can set me apart from other individuals you know I'm not running a 4-1 or 4-2 and just naturally you know a burner like that you know so what other things can I do to set myself apart um, has been an important thing for me and um, the coaches have done a, a great job of trying to make me uh, as most successful as I can not only during the week at practice and in the film room but also on game day so um, it's been a little bit of everything and you know I I just give a testament to the people that have contributed to uh, helping me. Absolutely. I talked to Greg Beekert. I don't know if you remember Greg Beekert, but he was a linebacker for the Raiders. And I think he was 11 years of the Raiders and two years in Minnesota. But every year they tried to replace him at that linebacker position. But because he was so great at studying film and because he was so good at understanding and anticipating what teams were trying to do to him, the guy who ran the four five where Beek was maybe a four seven was two steps behind him because he was always there. And, yeah. and to me, the guy who studies film, who anticipates, who gets there first is a way more he's a way better player to me, right? It's way more important right. to defense than a guy who runs a four or five and just has crazy talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. So we talked about film study. We talked about breaking stuff down. I've got a couple plays from you that I think stand out as kind of the quintessential Daniel Scott when we look at it. And so one of them we're going to break down right now. It is the TCU interception from last year. I want you to take me through what you're thinking. I want you to, Tell me kind of what your assignment is. And then, of course, you vary from assignment in this clip and tell me why, what your read was and, and how you got there. All right. So we've got an empty set. You guys look to me like you're in three, maybe three match. And it may be the same thing for you guys, the way that you talk about it. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're thinking here versus TCU. Right. Um, so you were spot on. I think we were in a cover three here. Um, 
I knew playing safety in an empty set, I, I don't need to get down. I need to get down eventually, but I don't need to get down right away, um, knowing that the quarterback's going to have to read the defense, especially in empty. You know, it's probably going to be a pass. Um, TCU back then, I don't think had too many fly sweep actions or running back reloads. So the running back going back in the backfield to no longer make empty. Um, so I knew I had a second kind of to drop down into my uh, area. I also knew that uh, I would probably be matching the receiver in front of me, depending on his route. Um, and by the luck of the draw, I think by the, uh, you know, while I was taking my time down, I saw the quarterback immediately do quick game to my side. I, we kind of game plan some of their concepts that they would run in quick game. Um, and I just made a play on the ball, saw his, his arm go up and, you know, we made a play luckily. So, um, you know, just trying to take in as many points as I could reading the quarterback, um, knowing he probably won't go to two, knowing that we have a linebacker right there in the middle of the field on that hash. Um, so I know any in-breaking route could probably get some support. Um, and then I also just read the quarterback and his eyes went straight to number one on my side. So uh, luckily I broke and thank God we scored. Right. And that's, a, I mean, it's a huge, it's the guys who gamble, the guys who, I say gamble, the guys who kind of anticipate things to me as a quarterback, make it tough to read, right? Because right. as you look at this space here, and can you see that, that alley as yep. I draw it up? Okay. So that alley, that's a lot of space, right? And so there's a lot of space for this guy to take it. You have to trust yourself and trust your instincts to be able to give up that alley as a player and jump the outside guy. Right. And so, so what, what is, what are you doing at that point that you are saying, you know what, I'm going to give up that alley. So what are you right, doing to say, go. I'm going to give up that alley and jump the guy outside. What triggers in your head that you can do that? Um, well, as I'm reading this run pass key, I'm seeing my receiver, which is my man, but I'm also looking into the backfield. And as I saw that, there was the, the quarterback's not taking a three-step drop from the gun. He's grabbing the ball and he's ready to throw. So in that sense, I can kind of settle my feet as if I'm ready to pull the trigger on any way that he's throwing the ball. Now, I don't quite remember a whole lot last year if he was looking directly at me. I want to say he was looking at the number one receiver here on the bottom of the screen. Um, but I kind of saw his shoulders. He was kind of starting to open up more and more and more to the sideline. And I knew he was going to go to some short route underneath, knowing that my corner is playing off in his uh, third. Yeah. And so that's huge. That's instinctive. But that's also film study. How did, how right. did film study play into that? Right. Um, I mean, I think, I, again, I'm sorry. I have terrible, like, long-term memory. Um, <laughs> Trey, it's not just you, brother. It's all of us that played the game. You have to go on to the right. next play next time. So good with right. you. Right. So I knew that number one was their main receiver. Um, you know, they've been thrown at them all game that year or that game. Um, I knew in empty sets, like they, they weren't really throwing deep, deep concepts. Um, so I kind of just baited the quarterback as much as I could. I didn't think he, he saw me initially dropping down or he might've saw me his initial read kind of showing a too high shell. And then once he started to get into his cadence and look for the ball, that's when I started working down a little bit faster to my uh, flat area. So that's what I'd say there. I don't quite remember what they ran all the time in their empty sets, but um, I do know that number one was their main receiver. Um, and if we're showing cover three, you know, that's going to be the little hole right there is to the number one. So to the flat, understanding your assignment, understanding all that. Awesome. Great stuff. So I love that. That's a look inside kind of the head of a guy who studies film, who we talk about anticipating, reading, seeing it happen. You've got, you know, another great pick this year versus Washington state. 
you're a guy who talks quarterbacks out of passes. And I understand, I know that when they're watching film, they're looking at you thinking, Hmm, got to be careful where that guy's lining up because he plays instinctively and it makes it tough. No, I appreciate it. And coming from a legendary quarterback like yourself, Mike, that means a lot. That means a lot. So See, now you're just trying to butter me up and I appreciate <laughs> that because I don't get enough of that, of course. So awesome <laughs> to have you on brother. I really do. So really as, on this team, one of my favorite players, I love watching you play because I know the work that it takes behind the scenes, right? It's not all about physical. And I see kids every day talk about the physical, you know, and they're, all they're thinking about is a physical. I know that your mental game is top shelf. And so I'm, I, I appreciate that. So appreciate you coming on, brother. You go ahead and get to meetings. I don't want to hold you up any further. It's awesome having you on. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and I look forward to seeing you this Saturday. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you again for having me. Well, for any college football team to have success, you got to have dudes, and Daniel Scott is definitely a dude. Fun to watch, fun to listen to, love his passion. And I love how articulate he is as well. Just a classic Cal student athlete, Cal guy all the way. So that's my take on Colorado. Later on this week, we will preview Washington, and there is a lot to look at. So we'll have some film review in that one. We will take a look at their fantastic quarterback, Michael Penix, at all the weapons that they have out there as well. And we'll break down the game and kind of what the Bears have to stop because that's the biggest piece. They're going to have to stop that Washington offense, which hasn't been real successful for people this year because it's they're averaging 43 points a game. So... We'll take a look at that coming up for today. I appreciate you guys watching, trying to get over that Colorado loss. But in the end, that's the beauty of football season. You have a game, you play it, win or lose, you got to go on to the next game. And so now the Bears have to turn it over, go on to the next game, and get it done this week versus the Dogs. Coming up later this week, I'll bring you that preview. For now, I appreciate you watching. I'm Mike Pulaski for Bear Insider and the Ultimate Insider Podcast. Go Bears. Thank you.